Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. The first thing I want to mention is something that's really hot off the press. Israel is just a few days away from sending a mission into space with an Israeli astronaut named Eitan Shtibi, who's going to set up 35 different experiments in the International Space Station. It's not only is this interesting that little Israel is participating in something so important, the, the mission does not just represent a major achievement as sending experiments into space, it's also the second time an Israeli astronaut has been sent to outer space. This astronaut, a former fighter pilot, served in the Israeli Air Force under Ilan Ramon, the first Israeli astronaut who died tragically in 2003 when the Columbia Space Shuttle exploded upon re-entry. The Ramon Foundation has set up in his honor is helping to lead this mission. So Little Israel, which started off its existence in 1948 with an Air Force made up of a few Piper Cubs, is now about to send a second astronaut into space. That is a fantastic achievement. All this is occurring while stupendous, momentous things are happening around us, and so far we are not involved. I'm talking about what's happening in the Crimea, in Ukraine, and the fact that the major Western powers are gearing up to face off against Russia, it's something is hanging in the air now. We don't know what's going to be. What I find interesting is the fact that so far, thank heaven, Israel is not involved. I'll talk about other things on the program this week that I hope you, the listeners will find of interest. Thanks again for listening. Stay with me. This is Jay Shapiro. did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hey, 
You're back again with Jay Shapiro. Again, thanks for listening. I came across an article in the back pages of the newspaper, which should really have been on the front page, because it talks about the opinion of the former IDF chief of staff, Gotti Eisenkart, about the situation of violence in the West Bank. With support for Hamas at 70 to 80 percent in that area, the West Bank, it is just a matter of time before another outbreak of violence with the Palestinians occurs, according to former IDF Chief of Staff Gadi Eisenkot. He said, and I quote, the question is not whether there will be another outbreak, but rather when and how intense it will be. It is quite clear that this will happen. There's no way that it's not going to happen, at least uh, at the least convenient time and place for us. Unquote. During Eisenkot's term, hundreds of Palestinian youth carried out attacks against Israeli citizens and against Israeli soldiers in the West Bank and also inside Israel, and what was called at the time the knife intifada, because knives were used uh, very often by these terrorists. When confronted with a wave of violence that occurred under his watch back in 2016, he said, and I quote, we were a hair's breadth away from larger violence, but we were able to stop it. The reason it did not descend even further was because Israel was able to develop a plan of action within three months and making use of technology and cameras, soldiers acted against terrorists and not against the Palestinian population in general. According to Eisenkot, we harnessed our technology for the war on terrorism with tremendous success. 2,500 to 3,500 potential attackers are arrested every year. Think about that number. 2,500 to 3,500 potential attackers are arrested every year. That's a huge number. Nevertheless, the violence expressed something profound, that this is a ticking time bomb of a confused generation that has erupted once and will erupt again for sure, according to Eisenkahn. And again, he said, the only question is when what that will happen. It will definitely happen. Palestinian youth consider themselves a lost generation with no future. Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas is nearing the end of his tenure. He was elected for four years, and now I think he's in the 10th or 12th year of his four-year four tenure. He's not big on uh, elections. Uh, Israel should really put together a plan to improve ties with the Palestinians to reduce hostility and strengthen trust, because there are millions of Palestinians west of the Jordan River, uh, some in Gaza and some in the area we call Judea and Samaria, and they're simply not going away, and the population is growing. 
that there should be a plan that would consist of a joint effort between Israel, the Palestinians, as well as Egypt, Jordan, the United States, and others, that would see a gradual separation with security arrangements that would increase settlement building in the Jordan Valley for Israel, while also providing a dramatic improvement in terms of civil and economic development in the West Bank, according to Eisenkot. I further quote what he said, because I consider him an expert. He said, we need to change the reality of the situation because it will lead to a single state which will destroy the Zionist dream. One does not have to be a genius to understand the significance of millions of Palestinians mixed in with us, along with the complex situation with Arab Israelis. Keep in mind, there are a very large population of Arabs who are Israeli citizens, primarily in the Galilee, in major cities like Jaffa. And in May, when there was uh, there was rioting, a lot of these Arabs turned on their Jewish neighbors. It's a major problem. The uh, Israel has over the years pushed forward a dangerous policy that weakened the Palestinian Authority while it strengthened Hamas, uh, and uh, that isn't good. Eisenkot uh, was um, the head of the army up until three years ago, and uh, he claim, claims, and I think he's right, there is a lack of any clear policy in the past decade in which Hamas has more support than the Palestinian Authority, particularly in the West Bank, would just lead to a continuation of the conflict. So what we are doing essentially is passing the problem over to future generations. And despite the normalization agreements with Arab and Gulf states following the Abraham Accords, the reality is that it is right now an unsolvable conflict. Eisenkot further said, I do not see how we can reach the end of the conflict or the recognition of the Jewish state. In other words, we have a really terrible problem. Israel won the Six-Day War. It was a defensive war. We ended up with tens of thousands of Arabs living within Israel. And uh, it's, it's a really serious problem when it has such a large percentage of the population it is not happy to be in Israel, and it's a time bomb just waiting to go off. It's really unfortunate, and I like to think that our leaders are thinking about what to do. There was years ago, there was a, a fellow named Mayor Kahana, and he said the only way to do it was to get rid of the Arabs, pay them off to leave the country, and everybody said that was racist. In the meantime, the population has grown. It's really not friendly toward the state. And we have a serious problem that we're moving on to our children. And um, it's unfortunate, but I just want to, I have no solution. I just want the listeners to be aware that the problem is growing. And again, it was interesting to me that Eisenkot's comments didn't get first page uh, coverage because they are really important. We have a growing population within the state of Israel, 
that is not happy to be part of the state of Israel, and that's a growing problem. Again, I have no solution myself, but I like to think there are better heads than mine working on the problem. Having said that, I want to switch the topic totally different. Uh, according to the latest reports, more than 90% of Jews in the United States, which is the biggest Jewish population in the world outside of Israel, more than 90% of Jews are concerned about the current state of anti-Semitism in America. 42% of the Jews have reported that they faced anti-Semitism directly or through family and friends in the last five years. This is a survey was done by a group called the Ruderman Family Foundation, and this is what they found. According to the survey, 94% of American Jews say they have recognized at least some anti-Semitism in the United States in the past five years. While 75% believe there's more anti-Semitism today in the U.S. than there was five years ago. 82% of the American Jewish respondents, though very diverse in their beliefs and culture, said they believe that what happens to American Jewry affects them personally and imposes a shared fate on Jews in America, which is good. A third of the Jews between the ages of 18 and 39 say they have personally been subjected to anti-Semitism. 60% say they know a family member or friend who has. Jews over 60 years old were more likely to have seen a lot of anti-Semitism than younger Jews. <coughs> the survey was conducted in two parts. Examined 2,500 Jewish American adults from December 2019 and another 1,000 Jewish adults at the end of 2021, just before the recent Colleyville synagogue attack. The survey reinforces the urgent need for American leadership to formulate new strategies to confront the surge of anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism is a threat to American society as a whole, and only in tackling this issue as one unified nation will ever be addressed. So it's interesting. The respondents believe the U.S. political parties remain supportive of Israel, with 69% saying this was the case for the Democratic Party and 71% for the Republican Party. That's kind of interesting. It, the, uh, it's interesting. They, they tested knowledge of Israel among the Jewish community. That's not really good. Less, less than 60% identified Naftali Bennett as Israel's prime minister. Some thought, 16% thought it was still Netanyahu. Give you an idea what American Jews know. I'll be back after the break.
You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany is but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. The first item I want to talk about on this segment of the program is one which I debated in my own mind, whether I should even discuss it. But it is something that exists, and it's very tragic for the state of Israel. Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, is the former prime minister. Ehud Olmert is also a former prime minister who uh, already spent some time in jail for corruption. And uh, these are two people who have been on the political scene in Israel almost since the beginning of the state. And uh, their people have prominent positions, and now they've sunk to a new low that I can't imagine this happening in a normal society, and therefore it worries me. But be that as it may, I want to share it with the listeners because you get an idea what's happening in the background. Former Prime Minister Ehud Olmert filed a motion last week with the Tel Aviv Magistrates Court asking it to compel the Netanyahu family to disclose any details that could prove any of them have had a mental illness. Now, here you have a former Prime Minister trying to legally find out whether another former prime minister's family had any mental illness. So the whole thing is crazy to begin with. Olmert's motion especially zoned in on an alleged private flight paid for by third parties for Sarah Netanyahu, the wife of Benjamin Netanyahu, to fly to Austria to cope with a mental breakdown and which was covered up by their son to avoid negative media coverage. The, uh, there's, the, there's a defamation trial of former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu just opened on January 10th, and uh, the, it's interesting. His, uh, the, the trial is, is of the former Prime Minister's family against Omer, including 837,000 shekel of alleged damages for statements against Netanyahu's mental health because of two uh, interviews that were made last year on television here. Omer filed his motion to try to build his claims that the Netanyahu's have had mental illnesses. So it, it's really it's really embarrassing for the country. They also ask questions about whether any of the three Netanyahu's, that's Netanyahu, his wife, and their son, had ever used psychiatric drugs or treatment for ADD or ADHD or for controlling physical trembling. 
Omrich's point seemed to relate to his second defense that even if Netanyahu's are sane, he was only using a metaphorical expression to declare unfit he thought Netanyahu was to return to being prime minister. During an in interview on uh, television, Omer called the Netanyahu family mentally ill. Uh, in another uh, uh, TV interview, Omer doubled down on his character characterization of the Netanyahu family. He explicitly refused to retract, retract any of his anything he said. Uh, and uh, his initial comment was made during the interview given on TV. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, he said that what can't be fixed is a mental illness of the prime minister and his wife and son. Under re regular circumstances, any psychiatrist with a healthy conscience would tell you that they need to be hospi hospitalized. They are sick people. So here, here you have two former prime ministers suing each other back and forth and something that I think is absolutely embarrassing for the state of Israel when finally after 2,000 years of exile we finally have a Jewish state, we have a great army, the country has grown from 600,000 people to, to uh, almost 9 million, 7 million of which are Jews, that we've made tremendous historical accomplishment. And here we have the uh, bunch of sickies, if you will, who formerly read and led our government. It's, it's really embarrassing. But I, I share with the listeners because it, it's it, it's going to come up. People are going to know about this. And, and, and you wonder, these are the people who led us. These are the people who have to decide decisions of war and peace, of economics, and everything else that's important for a country. And now that they're both out of office, one of them now also, also a former jailbird, are accusing each other of mental illness. It's embarrassing. You, you know, years ago, somebody had told me, if you want to know, to understand how the Israeli government operates, just look at your local synagogue and see how the people act when they're in positions of power. Some want to be officers in the synagogue, some want to be what they call gabayim, people who decide who's going to lead the servants, and so forth. And all this, all this happens in little communities, and now they've taken it to onto a national level in a country that is threatened by enemies on all sides. So, And the fact is there's no embarrassment. What, there is a there's a Jewish law that says one of the worst things that happened to a person is that he sh he should act without busha, without embarrassment. And these two former prime ministers are not embarrassed to sue each other back and forth in court, including claims of mental illness. And I, it, this may rise uh, and become more public. So that's why I wanted to share it with the listeners. I, I, the truth of the matter is, uh, I have very mixed emotions about it. I think it's embarrassing for the Jews. It's embarrassing for the state of Israel. But it be, may become a big headline shortly. So I wanted to, I wanted to give a listen, the listeners a heads up on it. The next topic, totally different, is one, again, it's on the back pages, but I think it's important. Um, 
A week after the anti-Semitic attack on Beth Israel in Coleville, Texas, a bipartisan group of senators is pushing to increase the funding of what's called the Nonprofit Security Grant Program. This program allows threatened houses of worship and nonprofits to apply for grants of up to $100,000. The money can be used to pay for security measures like fences or cameras or guards or stronger doors. In recent years, the program's budget was increased several times due to the rise in anti-Semitism across the United States. Back in 2019, Congress approved an increase in the city security grants from $60 million to $90 million, and the project's current budget is $180 million annually, and Jewish organizations have been lobbying Congress to increase it to $360 million, in other words, to double it. The, so here you have these attacks taking place in the United States, here in, 2000, in the 2022, who, who would have believed we come to this, uh, this state? The uh, attacks on uh, faith-based institutions is what the FBI is calling terrorism-related matter. And uh, the, these attacks underscore how extremists pose a threat to the Jewish community, to other religious, racial, and ethnic groups. The uh, interesting, the uh, they're they're pushing for additional grants uh, to to protect religious institutions. The recent event at the synagogue in Colleyville is a grim reminder of the increased anti-Semitic events that have taken place over the last few years in America and also abroad. According to the Anti-Defamation League's audit on anti-Semitic incidents, the most recent data from 2020 details that there were 2,024 reported anti-Semitic incidents throughout the country, which was the third highest on record since the ADL began tracking anti-Semitic incidents back in 1979. From Pittsburgh to Poway, the last few years have involved horrific acts of violence against the American Jewish community. The, uh, so it's a serious problem in the United States. I never thought this would happen now in this, in this uh, century. It's interesting, anti-Semitism is a pernicious and insidious force that rears its ugly head in just about every generation. No amount of education and advocacy will ever eliminate anti-Semitism. Such hatred is too entrenched. Therefore, the, the, they really have to do something about pre protecting the Jewish community, and the Jews themselves must be responsible for their own safety and security. The Jewish places of worship must make themselves hard targets that are not easily invaded. I never thought we would have this kind of discussion now, this this age, in this century, but it's true. It's the anti-Semitism has been called the measles of the world. It comes and goes, but you can never really get rid of it entirely. 
It's very tragic, but it's very true. And we have to be prepared for it as much as we can. I'll be back after the break. Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. After almost a year, the American government has finally appointed a U.S. ambassador to Israel. His name is Thomas Nides, N-I-D-E-S, and he has essentially started off by offending us by boycotting, visiting the legal and historically Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria. Nides stated that he will absolutely not, under any circumstances, visit these Jewish communities where over 700,000 Jews live. By contrast, Nide said that during the same interview, when he said he wouldn't visit the Jewish area, he might go. He said he might go to Judea, Samaria, to meet with Mahmoud Abbas and other Palestinian Authority officials. These are the same people who pay Arabs $360 million per year to murder Jews. Nine's statements that he will not visit the Jewish communities are a painful reminder, a painful indication that the ambassador wishes to appease the Palestinian Authority's terrorist dictatorship and radical Islamists and radical leftists who deny the Jewish people rights to live in the historic Jewish homeland. Since the Reagan administration, the United States has recognized that these communities are legal, and in addition, throughout the past century, the U.S. entered into still effective binding international treaties recognizing the Jewish people's rights to settle these lands. Now, Judea and Samaria, which are the heart of biblical Israel and the site of Jewish kingdoms that existed for a hundred of years, is guaranteed to the Jewish people for what's called close Jewish settlement and for the reconstitution of the Jewish homeland under binding international laws and treaties going back to the San Remo Resolution in the early 1920s, 
the League of Nations Covenant, Article 22, the British Mandate for Palestine, which, by the way, also calls for assuring that none of the territory guaranteed to the Jewish people shall be ceded or leased or placed under control of a foreign power. There's also the Joint Lodge Fish Resolution signed into law by the U.S. President, the 1924 Anglo-American Convention, which is a binding U.S. treaty obligation, the highest law of the land. It was approved by the U.S. Senate and the President. And Article 80 of the U.N. Charter, which is a binding treaty obligation, which preserved intact all rights granted to the Jewish people under the British mandate, even after the mandate expired. These are all the legal bases for Jewish settlement in Judea and Samaria. So uh, also, the American ambassador's uh, boycott of visiting these areas in Judea and Samaria also appears to violate his former beliefs. Back in November 2019, the uh, before Nides became an ambassador, he praised then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo for concluding after a lengthy comprehensive study that Israeli civilian communities in Judea and Samaria are legal. As a matter of fact, at that time, Nides tweeted, my thanks to the President of the U.S. and Secretary Pompeo for their important work, which will advance the cause of peace, by creating an appropriate level playing field for future talks. That's what he said several years before he became the American ambassador. So, uh, by the way, his recent wording in a tweet about a Palestinian Arab murder of a Jewish student uh, was also troubling. On December 16th, Palestinian Arab gunmen ambushed and murdered a yeshiva student, Yehuda Dimitman, and wounded two other yeshiva students riding in a car on the way home from their studies. Nide's deliberately nondescript tweet failed to acknowledge that the victims of this terror attack were Jews and the perpetrators were Palestinian Arab terrorists. His, he, he merely said last night's murderous attack in the West Bank robbed the family of their father and husband. May his memory be a blessing. We pray for swift healing to the injured victims. Now that sounds quite. That sounds not quite kosher. Problem is, it didn't uh, say or note who the victims were and who the perpetrators were. Truth of the matter is that the ambassador should visit the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria. Uh, I think he would find it very enlightening. So far. Uh, under the Biden administration, he's changed his tone. Uh, I doubt much will change as long as he's ambassador under the Biden administration. Since I spoke about the American ambassador not visiting what's called the West Bank, I want to say a few more words about that. In recent months, terror attacks by Arabs throughout Judea and Samaria have increased. The regional security hotlines report dozens of incidents of Arabs throwing rocks at Israeli citizens driving on the road, throwing Molotov cocktails and arson attempts near Israeli towns, 
and various types of terrorist attacks. These are attacks by Palestinian Arabs against innocent Jewish Israeli citizens, and the objective is to kill. Unfortunately, they occasionally succeed in murdering Jews. We're accustomed to the Jewish nation's historical battle for its right to exist. Radical left-wing organizations are in the midst of a poisonous campaign against Jewish life in Judea and Samaria, a campaign that received significant funding from the European Union. The blatant misinformation distributed by these organizations to the foreign ministries and the foreign governments of the West paint a distorted picture of violence against Arabs perpetrated by settlers in Judea and Samaria. Now, there have been some bad eggs among the Jews. These are really juvenile delinquents, and the state does what it can to prevent these kinds of things from happening. However, there are dozens of Arab-perpetrated acts of terror every single day, and these attacks are not committed by delinquent teenagers. There is something behind them directing, encouraging, and feeding the fire. The Palestinian Authority, in its elementary school textbooks and kindergarten classes, teach children about murdering Jews. It pays monthly salaries to terrorists who have murdered Jews, and its members preach from inside mosques about violence against Jewish settlers urging people to go out and hurt Jews. It's terrible. Many governments, including the American government, transfer vast sums of money to the Palestinian Authority without verifying where the money is going. You ask yourself, do the citizens of those countries know that their taxes are paying for scholarships for people who murder Jews? Do Western citizens know that the unsupervised funding they transfer finds its way to projects that infringe upon basic human rights? Also, they damage the environment and they pollute the air we all breathe. Most of all, do they know that their money finances a body, the Palestinian Authority, that unabashedly encourages terror attacks and murdering Jews? The silence of the international community makes them an accomplice to these crimes and is deafening. It, the, supporting these terrorists is shaking the stability of this region. It's empowering radical forces that threaten the three world, and most severely, it's costing the residents of Judea and Samaria and the citizens of Israel sometimes causing their lives. It's a very bad situation. The international silence in the face of this reality serves as fuel propelling the next terror attack to us. It's interesting. Uh, all kind of, uh, of uh, diplomatic officers travel in and out of the official Palestinian West Bank headquarters in Ramallah and they, they encourage and support that these convoys provide to the chairman of the Palestinian Authority and its members as actually shameful. We have an absurd situation. These are the very same representatives of countries condemn Israel for building legal homes in Jewish towns. 
They turn a blind eye in the face of Arab terror, but they're quick to attack Israel for legitimate construction and development in their own borders and our historical homeland. So this has been going on. It's, it happens all the time. Very little is written about it. Very little is said about it. Millions of dollars are going into this terrorist organization, and it, its aim is to destroy the state of Israel and to kill Jews. I hate to repeat this, but it's got to be said over and over again. These things are under the headlines, and people seem to forget what's happening, what the Palestinian Authority really is. Anyhow, uh, on that note, I wish you all well for the upcoming week. Thanks for listening. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 